In John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus is just hours away from being arrested, from being tried, from then being crucified. And in these final hours with his disciples, he explains that he is going away, which brings them to a point of great grief and even dismay. Now, when Jesus said, I am going away, he didn't mean just dying. He was actually talking about the fact that he was returning to the Father, that he was returning to the glory that he knew before he had come and become incarnate and become man. And he meant by, I am going away, that I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you to carry on the mission that I've given you. The disciples, of course, didn't understand all of that at the time, but he comforts them, and he comforts them with many promises, including the promise that he would send another helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, and that this other comforter or counselor or helper actually strengthen and guide them. And he even tells them simply, uh, something that surely sounded absurd to them in that moment, in those moments of grief, hearing Jesus say, I'm going away. Certainly it sounded absurd to them when Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. As we continue to explore the Holy Spirit's work through the New Covenant, what we are really doing is we are uncovering what Jesus meant by that declaration that it's to your advantage if I go away. It is an advantage for us to have the Holy Spirit with us rather than even Jesus himself. Now, how can this be? Because the Holy Spirit is present and at work in our lives in profound ways that were never experienced before Jesus sent the Spirit at Pentecost. And when he did that, he gave birth to the church and he gave birth to the new covenant or activated the new covenant. I've divided the Spirit's work into three broad categories just to help us kind of wrap our minds around them. And the first is the Holy Spirit's work of restoration. The Holy Spirit restores us to God. He restores us to a right relationship with God. And he does this first by revealing the gospel. He reveals the content of the gospel. He empowers the preaching of the gospel. And he convicts those who hear the gospel, piercing our spiritual blindness by enabling us to see the truth of the gospel for what it really is. The Holy Spirit restores us by enabling us then to comprehend the gospel and to believe it with all our hearts. He also restores us to God by regenerating us. That is, giving us new life. The Holy Spirit gives us new life by bringing us out of a state of spiritual death to spiritual life. And this regeneration includes a cleansing, 
a cleansing from all guilt, a cleansing from all sin, and makes us clean and acceptable to God. The Spirit's work of regeneration then really fulfills the new covenant that is promised in Ezekiel 36, replacing our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Because we are dead in our sins, only the Spirit of God can do this. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, anyone who would see the kingdom of God must be born again. Must be born again. Well, today we want to add to this work the Holy Spirit's indwelling and his sealing. To restore us to God, the Holy Spirit indwells us and he seals us. So first of all then, the Holy Spirit restores us to God by indwelling us. The Bible teaches that when a person believes on Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in his or her life. God, the Spirit, comes to dwell within them. It's hard to overemphasize the importance of this teaching, what all it encompasses. And again, what did the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36 say? Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So even the prophecy in Ezekiel of the new covenant promised that the spirit of God would come to live in us, dwell within us. And it's his presence in our lives that enables us to obey God, to love God, to know God. Jesus even hinted at this when he promised his disciples, again, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus even seems to be, it's kind of a hint, but he's pointing at the point, uh, he's pointing at the fact that the Holy Spirit has been with you because I have been with you. But when the Father provides him, sends him, he will be with you because he will be in you. This is why we find in the New Testament that when we repent of sin and when we turn to Christ and place our faith in him, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit. Think of Peter's response in Acts chapter 2 as he is preaching the gospel and he basically confronts the audience with the truth and the Holy Spirit takes the, the the proclamation of the gospel, and by his power, he convicts. He helps them to see that they have crucified their Messiah. And they cry out, "What? we are cut to the heart. What should we do? What do we do then? And Peter responds in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Peter then understands this same work to be happening among the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, verses 45 through 47. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? It is this receiving of the Spirit that, that captures or is talking about the Spirit coming to dwell in believers. This is the presence of God that is with us. This is the presence of God that is in us. And it is one of the major themes of Scripture from the very beginning. Think about this. From the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, being created by God, know God's presence personally and without interruption until they disobey God and fall. And now there's sin and there's corruption. God's presence is known again through the nation of Israel. God calls one man Abraham and from him gives birth to an entire nation. God's presence with Israel was located where? In the temple. His glory dwelling in the temple. Until Israel repeatedly disobeyed God repeatedly broke the law and that the covenant that God made with them. And, and we, we are told that God's glory departed. Ichabod, the glory has departed. This then leads, though, to the wonder of the incarnation. God's glory had departed, but it returns in the person of Jesus Christ, the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and that Jesus' coming was God's very glory dwelling among us. Jesus was the glory of God. And John uses the word there, tabernacled. He turns the, the noun tabernacle into a verb, basically. And this tabernacle was the original temple. That was where God's glory dwelt before the temple was built. And so John is saying that Jesus is now the presence of God among the human race. Jesus, of course, then when he speaks of his absence, sends another helper, promises another helper, and sends the Holy Spirit. And now God dwells within his people. God dwells in each individual believer, and he dwells also within the corporate people of God, within the church. The in, this indwelling of the Spirit, then, is a, a new and a superior knowledge of God's presence. And, by the way... One day in eternity, we will dwell in the presence of God for all eternity. That is God's ultimate goal of history, is that his presence will be restored in completion and perfectly. And if you want to read what that's like, read Revelation chapters 21 and 22 as God dwells among his people. So the implications of the Holy Spirit's indwelling are profound. In fact, we'll only scratch the surface today. And as we continue in this study, which we only have a couple more weeks, but 
As we continue and finish out the study, you will see throughout all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant that they will continue to to rely upon this truth that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, both as individuals and as the people of God. Now, see what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now these words, these verses, are actually found in the context of Paul warning leaders and teachers in the church to build the church whose foundation is Jesus Christ alone, a foundation that never changes. But to build the church in the right way, with the right materials. And that if they do not do so, their building on the foundation of Jesus Christ will face judgment from God. The reason this is so important is because of who the church is. And Paul makes the point that the church does not belong to any person. And really, as he's, as he's giving this warning, he's He's actually confronting the Corinthians' divisions of picking certain leaders that they wanted to follow. I follow Cephas, and I follow Paul, and I follow Jesus Christ. That they were all picking their leaders in their camps. And he's saying, the church belongs to God. The church is God's field. And I, Paul, and Peter, and and John, and we're all just workers in the field. But you are the field. And he says, you're the building. We're just building the building, but you're the building, and Jesus is the foundation. The church is not just another institution. It is not just another organization. The church is the very temple of the living God. And that's why it's so crucial that those who teach and lead build the church with the right materials, God's materials. As God's presence, listen to what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, as God's presence once dwelt in the temple, we are now God's temple, and his presence dwells within us. He dwells within us. Paul appeals to this truth again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Only this time he emphasizes the individual. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in that passage we just read, Paul is really talking about the whole church. He says, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. He's talking about us as a people. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking about us as individuals, the individual believer as the Holy Spirit's dwelling place. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, So glorify God in your body. Of course, this is a a very grave warning 
about the devastation that is caused by sexual immorality and why sexual immorality is immoral, why it is a violation of, of God's holiness. But sexual sin is not devastating mainly because of sexually transmitted diseases. It's not devastating mainly because of how it wrecks relationships or how it creates a vacuum in your soul, but it is devastating because it defiles your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. It's another way of saying whom you have received. If you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit and he has come and taken up residence in your life. And your not just your spirit is a temple, but your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. You see, you were bought with a price. God paid for you, all of you, with the blood of his son, soul and body. And he has secured all of you soul and body, to be the dwelling place for his spirit. So listen, moms, dads, as your children become teenagers, counter the world's perspectives of sex, sexual education, with this truth. That sexual sin is a sin against the body. And that if they are Christians, <laughs> that their bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence in your body as well as your soul and mind belong to him. We also find that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the key to spiritual strength, communion with Christ, and comprehending the magnitude of Christ's love for you. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To have the Spirit in your inner being is to be strengthened with power. And to be strengthened with power is to have Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. It is to know the love of Christ. And to know the love of Christ, the height, the depth of the love of Christ, the great magnitude of his love for you, is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, every believer has all of the spiritual resources that they need because of the strength and understanding that the indwelling Holy Spirit provides. That is always the starting point for any need in life, for any crisis. 
is to know that the Spirit lives within you. And it's by the Spirit's presence in us that we have assurance that we actually belong to God. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Apostle John uses the word abide to capture this relationship. We abide in God. The Spirit abides in us. The Spirit's abiding in us is the evidence and the assurance that we abide in God, that we belong to him. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is that the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we belong to him. Romans 8 verses 9 through 11 also show us that the Spirit's indwelling identifies those who belong to Christ. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now verse 9 is very clear, isn't it? Crystal clear. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, then you are in the Spirit and not in the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, he means this. By in the flesh, he means living under the principles and according to the nature of sin that govern a person who is separated from God and who does not have the Spirit of God and therefore doesn't belong to Christ. Someone who is separated from God, doesn't have the Spirit of God, doesn't belong to Jesus Christ, operates, lives life under a certain principle and nature of sin, enslaved to it. But Paul is saying that if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you are no longer separated from God. These Principles and the nature of sin no longer apply to you. You are in the realm of the Spirit. You operate according to His power and presence and leading. All because the Spirit of God dwells within you. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you guarantees that He will one day redeem your body as well raising you from the dead, just as God raised Christ from the dead. In other words, your, our bodies are consigned to death because of sin. They, they must die. They have to be transformed. They are not fit for eternity or for glory. 
It is because the Holy Spirit lives within us now. He's already taken up residence. And it's because he has already done that, that we are guaranteed to be raised and our bodies actually raised from death to life. As our spirits have already been raised from death to life. So you can see just how vital this truth is for the Christian life. When you turn from sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you receive the Spirit of God who then comes to dwell within you permanently. And you never lose him and he never leaves you. He is always dwelling within you. No wonder Jesus said it would be an advantage for him to go away and to send the Spirit. God is nearer to you now than he would have been even if you had been present at that last Passover dinner before Jesus died. If you had been sitting at that dinner with Jesus and his disciples in person, you are now closer to God because of the Spirit dwelling within you than you would have been then. I know we often think, I, I do, and I'm sure you do as well. Boy, if Jesus was just here, I could ask him, Lord, I've got a question for you. I need an answer here on this or that. But Jesus said it's an advantage. It's an advantage to have the Spirit dwelling within us over even Jesus being present. And all of these verses we've looked at show that Jesus' presence in our lives is because we have the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence in our lives. So when we talk about fellowshipping with the Lord or praying to the Lord Jesus or walking with Christ, all of that is actually possible. He is presence present in our lives because of the Spirit's presence. It's because he dwells within us. Now, this promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that God will give life to our mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in us, takes us then to our next point here, because that is a promise of future deliverance from death. Understand that. The fact that the Spirit who dwells within us will raise our bodies as God raised Jesus from the dead is a promise of deliverance from death, and it is ensured by the Spirit living within us. But the Holy Spirit restores us to God by indwelling us, but also by sealing us, by sealing us. And when we say that the Holy Spirit seals us, we mean that the Holy Spirit preserves us. The Holy Spirit keeps us. The Holy Spirit has secured us for God and final deliverance. The Holy Spirit is a seal of ownership. And so this work of sealing overlaps with his indwelling because it is the Spirit's dwelling in us that actually seals us. This Holy Spirit doesn't just do a work of sealing us. He is the seal. It is his presence in our lives that seals us, that keeps us for God. One of the most important passages that explains this is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now pause. What, is that? what does that remind you of? Oh, the Spirit's work of revealing the gospel, of convicting, converting us to Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is in Christ, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed in him, right then, right then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the promised Holy Spirit points back to the fact that it was the promise of the Spirit that he would come that has now actually taken place. And you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you believed. When you believed. And he then is the guarantee, or in some English versions, it's the word pledge. He is a pledge. He is a guarantee. That is, he secures our future salvation. And what Paul means by inheritance here is glory, eternity. That's our inheritance. It's eternal glory. He's the guarantee of it. He seals us for that. That's security. You are secure in Christ because the Holy Spirit is the seal that keeps you for God. And no one can break that seal of ownership. No one. Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve him. In other words, don't resist his work in your life. Don't act contrary to what the Holy Spirit is doing in changing your life and making you fit for glory. Cooperate with him. Cooperate with him. You are sealed for the day of redemption, meaning that in one sense, you and I are already redeemed. We have already been bought. This is another one of these images, right? We have been bought off of the block of slavery to sin. He has redeemed us by, by shedding his own blood, giving his own life, and restored us to God, redeemed us. But there is a redemption that has yet to take place, and that is actually when he keeps us out of judgment. When he picks us up out of judgment. So the day of redemption is the same as the day of the Lord, or the day of judgment, the day of salvation. Because when God judges the world as a whole, the human race, he saves his own people. He saves or delivers, redeems those who belong to him. And it's as though Paul is saying that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit for that day of redemption. The mark, the identifier, that when God comes to judge, mankind will be, he has the Spirit. That one belongs to me. She belongs to me. He belongs to me. And I know this because the, my Spirit lives within her. My Spirit dwells within him. Your mind. You're mine. You're mine. And he redeems them. He saves them out of judgment. 
find this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So here's another imagery. It's the seal imagery, but now it's in our hearts. The spirit dwells within us in our core being. You say, well, now how, what does that actually look like? You keep talking about the spirit indwelling us, and now you're talking about the spirit sealing us. What is that? How does that actually work? And I have to tell you, I have no idea. The Holy Spirit is spirit. God is spirit. How he actually takes up residence is not told to us, but he does. He takes up residence in your hearts or your center, who you really are. And his presence there is a guarantee, right? Lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Paul has been talking about his sufferings as an apostle here. And he talks about his longing, his longing to be with God, to return and because of the sufferings. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we, we, we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What Paul is talking about here when he talks about we are still in this tent, he's talking about our mortal bodies. He's talking about the physical body. And we groan being burdened. Because this, this body is not fit for glory, and being found in this body, we still suffer. We still suffer tragedy, loss, pain, illness, age. We still suffer these things. And we are being burdened. But not that we would be unclothed. What Paul means by being unclothed is the shedding of the body. But Paul is not saying that because we are burdened in this tent, that we want to have no body, that we want to be separated, die, separated from our body, and be disembodied spirits. He says it's not that we want to be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. In other words, have the mortal body transformed newly clothed or further clothed with a body fit for glory, a transformed body. That's what he's saying. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That is being further clothed. So it's a superior body. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing. What is this very thing? Death. It is the transformation, this death passing out of this tent, this mortal body, but being further clothed for glory. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, the 
indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit prepares you. His dwelling within you makes you ready for death. He makes you ready to go on out of this life and into eternity, immortality. And it is his indwelling presence that guarantees your mortality will be swallowed up by life. That promise makes you ready for eternity. And what a good time to be reminded, taught, to dwell on this truth that the Holy Spirit lives within us and is making us ready for eternity. Listen, that longing for heaven, that longing for the presence of God with no veil, no sin between us, no shame between you and him, that longing for perfect justice and peace is the Holy Spirit's work in you. He is already making you ready for a glorious eternity. And that ought to encourage you. And you ought to dwell on that today and even throughout this week. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He has sealed you and made you secure for God. And in doing so, he guarantees that you will one day put off this mortal tent and be further clothed with glory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, may we as your people take these truths to heart. May we not lose sight in the midst of even everything that we are facing in these days. And on top of the, the broad experiences we're having in life and in the world, each of us is facing our own sets of trials and, and hardships and temptations. Lord, help us to not lose sight of this truth, this glorious truth, that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. And Spirit, you are near to us. You are God. And you are, are the one who empowers us and enables us. Lord, help us to dwell on this truth that your Spirit is making us ready for eternity as your people. We give you glory for that. We could have never dream this up on our own and we thank you for the truth of the scriptures that reveal this to us and nourish our souls in trying times by your very presence in us in your name we proclaim these things and ask these things amen